HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Today we'd like to send a special thank you to the following restaurants for supporting No Goat Left Behind. Aldi La, Back 40, Cleaver, Community Food and Drink, Northern Spy, and Palo Santo. Show your support at these restaurants by ordering one of the menu items featuring goat. Goat is the most eaten protein in the entire world, yet in the U.S. we import most of our goat. Our dairy farms are forced to kill some male goats at birth because there's no market for them. Help make a change. Support No Goat Left Behind. Welcome to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. And tonight we're talking about meeting your meat. Get your mind out of the gutter. We're talking about actual protein here, meat. So about uh, five, seven, it's all a blur, years ago, um, I applied for and won a scholarship, like a professional development scholarship through the Jean-Louis Paladin Foundation. Jean-Louis Paladin was a famous chef who died and had some money and started a foundation. Not in that order. Um, And so I applied through the foundation to get some money to do some professional development and further myself as a chef. And I won. Um, So you had to choose what you wanted to do. And there were a couple of options of places to go and people to work with. Uh, But one of the options was... um, to go work on a lamb farm. And I had had an interest in sustainably raised meat for a long time, going way back to my early association with Slow Food here in New York and Patrick Martin's uh, from Heritage Foods. And um, so I had this option to go to this uh, grass-fed lamb farm, like way the hell out in western Pennsylvania, like so far in western Pennsylvania that... You can't believe you're still in Pennsylvania. 
And so that's what I chose to do. Um, so I, you know, contacted them and they said, oh, yeah, come at like the end of March and stay for a couple of weeks. So I drove out there in an ice storm. And the whole way out, you know, I was trying to kind of imagine what my experience would be out there. Like, what would my experience as a lamb farmer be? And of course, growing up watching too much TV, I was, you know, had this fantasy that I would be kind of cuddling up with little tiny just born lambs and feeding them little bottles of milk in a, you know, in a barn lit by warm lanterns and, and then frolicking with them in spring pastures of grass and wildflowers. I don't know where the hell I got all that from. This totally ridiculously idyllic version of what I thought non-factory farming was about, like all, you know, bucolic and gentle and, you know, like, like Heidi or something. But it turns out that grass-fed lamb farming doesn't really work that way. And it doesn't work that way because they're grass-fed, completely grass-fed. So there was no barn time. There was no bottles. There was definitely no frolicking because every time I even tried to get near one of those lambs, it just like bolted away from me like a fuzz-covered greyhound. They didn't want anything to do with me. They basically stayed on the grass. They stayed on the pasture 24-7 eating. That's all they did. They stayed on the pasture. They ate grass. If they had babies, it happened there on the grass. If a couple of them died, they stayed out there on the grass where they basically melted into fertilizer, which then helped to feed more grass. And that was it. That was the system. Grass plus lambs plus thyme makes meat. The original meat-producing system. Very simple. The only time I got to even touch the actual animals was when they were in the slaughterhouse, <laughs> lined up and ready to go. They were in the chute. That's when I could go over and pet them. And at that point, I felt sort of guilty petting them. I thought, well, maybe I could soothe them or something, but it didn't really work that way. So... I basically spent most of my time in the slaughterhouse and in the packing plant because when you raise grass-fed lambs, you don't do anything out on the fields. Um, so in that, that month-long period, approximately, that I spent out there, I, that's when I really got to meet my meat face-on. So mostly, like I said, I helped in the slaughterhouse. I didn't do the actual killing. I could not pull the trigger, so to speak, because I didn't feel confident enough that I would do it right and kill the animal, not just like knock it out or, you know, do something worse, blow its head off. So I didn't do the actual killing job, but I did help skinning. I helped pull the pelts off and eviscerating them, gutting, spraying down the carcass. That was one of my special jobs was the hose. And I, they also gave me a super special job, the job reserved for the intern and for the girl, because I was the girl in the plant, the only girl working in the plant. And that was the super special job of putting the blue USDA inspection stamp on the carcass. I got really good at that. Apparently, that's a girl's job. So I got to do it. And now I'm a very good meat stamper. FYI. And then after we would kill them, we'd hang them up. And then I would help out also in the processing plant a lot like seriously a lot of cutting of meat. So I got really, really good at Frenching lamb racks and trimming up shoulders and shanks and 
fabricating all the different cuts, which I already knew how to do. I am a chef and I knew how to do that, but then I got like really good at it. I also got really, really good at packing boxes for UPS shipping and I got also very good at using a tape gun, pack them up. So I learned a lot out there on the lamb farm. It was not the idyllic Disney version of lamb farming that I had had in my mind on that long drive out there, but it was certainly an intensive look at how animals become meat. I literally met my meat face to face and then I turned them into lamb chops. And that's what the system is. It was food, pure and simple. There was no foodiness there at all. No foodiness involved in grass-fed. And to say that there was no foodiness is to say that there was no sneaky stuff going on with grain feeding or grain finishing after grass-feeding or antibiotics or growth hormones being snuck into those little fuzz faces. Nothing deceptive, just food. Food made on a small scale with very tight controls, totally foodiness free, as far as I knew. And what struck me quite profoundly when I was out there meeting my meat was how quickly animals turn into meat. They go from these warm, breathing creatures to hanging carcasses, like within moments. It's almost instantaneous. And once you get over that sort of first initial kill, they just turn into meat. (laughs) I mean, that's how it is. It was pretty gross. Yes, it was gross, but not so gross because I knew that these lambs had actually lived really well. They had frolicked. They had eaten grass. They had lived the life that lambs are supposed to live, which is eating grass, 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 grass. Then we kill you. And they were being killed in the most humane way known to us so far, humane certified, you know, all that. So it was okay. Vegetarians, vegans might not agree with me, so don't eat it. But it was okay. And it was a really excellent lesson in how it's done the right way. And I wanted to see that and I wanted to experience it. And I also got to eat a lot of lamb that month. Really good, really expensive lamb that I normally would not have eaten. Real food. Or more specifically, real meat from, you know, from face to fork. But that's a teeny little niche of the meat market, that grass-fed lamb. And almost all of the meat that we eat otherwise isn't produced that way. And we all know it, but we eat it anyway. I mean, who can afford grass-fed lamb, grass-fed beef, or, you know, organic pasture-raised chickens? And even if you know about it, who can... I mean, who can afford it? Who even knows about it, really? You know, we're so trained to accept the corn-fed animal as a good thing, as progress, really. You know, not as foodiness. Because most of the meat we eat is is corn and grain-fed, and I'll get into that in a little bit. Those animals aren't really supposed to be eating that stuff. That's not food meat. That's foodiness meat. The grass stuff costs the grass raised stuff costs a lot more and even though you know maybe we all know that it's worth it maybe we can't always do it or maybe you can't even get it it's not always hard to get if you don't live near a store or a farmer's market or a specialty market that sells grass-fed meat or even organic meat or anything but industrial meat you don't really have much choice because foodiness meat is inescapable it is everywhere 
And even worse than foodiness meat is fast food meat, which is like extreme foodiness, like the fifth or sixth degree of foodiness on my six degrees of foodiness chart, which you can find on my vlog on letsgetrealshow.com. Eating fast food meat to me kind of means like you're just asking for it. I mean, you know, just look around you at people who eat a lot of fast food. The fast food industry actually describes those people as heavy users. Three or more times a week eating fast food, you're a heavy user. And that's that's the actual term. I mean, it's no pun intended. <laughs> no irony there. No wonder they use the word heavy. It's I mean, that's foodiness made palpably real. Visible to the naked eye, although you may not be able to actually fit it into your field of vision. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about meeting your meat. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm Erica Wides, your host. Remember that you can always listen to this and any other Heritage Radio show on the brand new redesigned HeritageRadioNetwork.com website, beautifully redone, launched this week. Um, You can always listen to any of our shows on there. You can also find all of them on iTunes. You can podcast us all on iTunes. And you can listen to this show on letsgetrealshow.com a few hours after it airs every week. You can also leave comments on all of those places. You have so many choices when you listen. You can leave comments everywhere. You can also become a fan of this show on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Chef Smarty Pants. So anyway, I spent that month on the grass-fed lamb farm, and it, you know, of course, was extremely different from the world of industrial meat production, foodiness meat. And, you know, we we know that industrial meat production, you know, those massive factory farms that produce tons and tons of meat a day are not the same as that little grass patch in Pennsylvania. And we know that what they do is generally revolting and pretty inhumane, not just for the animals, but for the people who work there. You know, we've seen the documentaries. We've read Fast Food Nation or maybe just picked it up in the bookstore and read the back cover and get the gist of it and feel like we read it. We know that we can eat cheap meat because it's produced in the cheapest possible way. And we expect cheap meat because of that. But that meat, like I said earlier, is foodiness meat. A cow that grazes on grass its whole life produces meat. That is real food or real meat. A cow that's crammed full of corn and grain and all sorts of other horrible things, which it's not designed to digest. Its stomach can't handle. And it keeps it sick its whole life, so it needs to be pumped full of antibiotics to balance out its system to keep it alive, and puts on hundreds and hundreds of pounds of saturated fat from eating that wrong food. That's foodiness meat. It looks like meat. It tastes like how we think meat should taste, because we're used to it. It costs about what we're used to paying, which is not very much, but it's not meat. It's a corn-fed meat product. 
Foodiness is what happens to food when no one is looking or paying attention. And we want it cheap and we want it fast. And that's where foodiness slips in. It hides the destruction and the ill health and the long-term effects behind a cheery clown with big red shoes. If you know who I mean. Animals fed grain get fat fast. Kind of like people. They're not designed to eat grain. They're not designed to get fat fast either. So they get really fat and they get really sick. And what happens when you feed an animal grain is that its fat is the wrong kind of fat for humans. Humans are supposed to eat a balance of omega-3s and omega-6s, but grain-fed beef is mostly omega-6s and not enough omega-3s. We need the ratio to be a lot higher, of 3 to 6. We need both, but we need that much higher ratio. Animals get omega-3s from eating green stuff like grass or algae or fish. Grain-fed cows and chickens and fish produce food full of omega-6s. And omega-6s are what give people heart disease. The saturated fat in those cows comes from the grain. Grass-fed cows and pastured chickens who eat grass and bugs and the sort of stuff they're meant to eat, and wild salmon who eat the little fish who ate the plankton who ate the algae produce foods full of omega-3s. And omega-3s are the ones that keep us healthy. Those are the ones that are good for your heart. Those are the ones that people like take in fish oil supplements. But you don't need to eat fish oil supplements. You just need to eat the right kind of fish, the little oily fish. We'll talk about that in some other show. So those animals that get pumped full of corn and soybeans and much worse like ground up dead chickens and all sorts of other nastiness, feathers and beef fat fed back to them and then kept penned up with no exercise to get really fat really quick also get left standing in pools of their own waste which then pollutes the nearby water sources it uses up massive amounts of resources like water and gas and oil and ethanol to get it produced quick and get it to market and ship it and keep it cold and you know we know it's like a total disaster system And we also know that those animals are pumped full of nasty other stuff like hormones and antibiotics. And it's good that we know all of this. It's not good that it's happening, but at least we know it because it means that the food industry has failed to keep it a secret any longer. Like, you know, the jig is up. We know. But we still eat it, and we probably still eat too much of it. Maybe because not enough of us really know what's going on in there or maybe because the labeling on the packages is so deceptive and confusing that there's no way to actually tell truth from foodiness. I mean, this is America, damn it. Land of the free, home of the cheap meat. It's our God-given right to eat burgers. And I totally agree. I love a good burger. I had a great burger just this weekend. But I made it from really good quality grass-fed beef that came from a smaller farm that I bought knowing that that's what it was. It was way more expensive, but I'd rather eat that one burger a month and do it that way. So I made the burger, I grilled it, I covered it with ketchup because I love ketchup so much, and I fed my little face with it, and it was great. I have no problem eating those kind of burgers that way. Those burgers are real food, and I'm okay with food. I love food. I just don't want to be eating foodiness in my meat. 
And if corn-fed beef is foodiness, then, like I said, fast food beef is like super hyper-foodiness. Because those burgers, it's not just about what the animal's fed. It's what gets mixed into the meat when they're fabricated and formed into patties. So things like fillers and soy and meat slurries and pastes and all kinds of nasty stuff that definitely did not come from that little green patch of Pennsylvania grassland. But we want it and we crave it because we're so addicted to the taste of its corn-fed richness and creaminess. That's why it's so juicy because it's full of all that corn-fed omega-6 fat and all those fillers which retain moisture and make it seem even more juicy. And it's too bad that we're addicted to that because grass-fed beef actually tastes really good, but it's a totally different kind of taste. It's probably what your grandma or maybe your great-grandma ate when she was a kid before the meat industry completely switched to grain feeding in the 1970s. Now that happened because of Nixon and this guy named Earl Butts and their farm subsidies policy, which basically paid farmers to overproduce corn and grain, and then they had to find out a way to use it, and it got pumped into our animals, and it got pumped into our kids, and it got turned into corn syrup, and that's a whole other show. I can't get into that right now. But that's when it all started to happen. It was about propping up the corn farmers, and what do you do with all that corn? Well, you feed it to your animals. But it's what we have, and so it's what we eat, and it's what we're used to, and we've been doing it now for so long that it's the only taste that we identify with beef. And so it's hard for people to make the switch. And I think maybe most people would rather just not know about all of this. Because if we knew about all of it, would we still eat it? Maybe we'd be too grossed out and we would stop eating it. I'm not so sure. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, a little more about meeting your meat. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm Erica Wides, your host. So remember the Wendy's ads from the 80s? You have to be old enough to remember them. Well, guess what? Those ads are coming back. Yep, Wendy's is bringing back Where's the Beef? Minus Clara Pell, the little old lady. She's dead. You have to be old enough to remember them, but if, if you don't, you know, you can look them up on YouTube. I'm sure you can find them out there. So they're bringing back that campaign, but this time I think we should turn it back around on Wendy. I think it should be us asking them 
where's the beef? Or where's my real beef? Where's my real food? Where's my real meat? Not my foodiness meat. Or maybe ask them, what's the beef? As in what's in it? Because as we know, the fast food industry is not always so forthcoming with their information. And there was that Taco Bell filler in the meat situation, which turned out to kind of be an overblown case. And they've the suit has been dropped. But nonetheless, the USDA standards for real meat in hamburger patties is only 40% actual meat required. So... What's going on with that other 60%? If the USDA only requires 40% actual meat to be put in their patties, then where is the beef? Indeed. And if that's not gross enough for you, think about this. Fast food burger meat, that like industrial ground beef mixture, can also contain 10 to 12% of something called ammoniated beef product which is scrap from meat processing that in the past would have been sold to the pet food industry. But the burger patty industry decided that they wanted it. They didn't want that meat be, you know, being given to pets. It was good enough for humans. So they changed the rules so that that scrap can be used now. But that scrap is usually so um, putrefied already and has such a high bacterial count to it that they treat it with ammonia to reduce the bacterial load enough so that it becomes considered safe for human consumption. And then it get mixed, gets mixed into the burger patty slurry. Sound like Soylent Green to anyone? You could just grind up people and mix them with ammonia too and make them into patties and feed that to people. It's not a far leap, really, when you think about it. So what do you do? I mean, if you want to eat fast food, well, that's your choice. You know, not eating fast food would be an excellent choice, of course. But, you know, sometimes maybe you're on the road. You're really hungry. You're hungover. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. What are you going to do? You're not going to go to the store and buy a packet of grass-fed beef because, you know, Chef Smarty Pants told you to go do it. You're probably saying to her right now you know you're totally unrealistic well you have choices you could go someplace like chipotle chipotle for all its fast foodiness actually uses really high quality meat from good companies like nyman ranch chipotle will not buy pork that's been treated with antibiotics that's a huge leap for the fast food industry so we support chipotle totally so if you need to have your fast food foodiness fix i would choose chipotle if i were you And also, just because the beef is a bad choice, I wouldn't go picking the chicken either because chicken nuggets have something in them called TBHQ, which is a form of butane. You know, butane like in your little cigarette lighter. Although I guess if you're smoking cigarettes, it doesn't matter what you eat because you're, you know, halfway into the grave as it is. But butane is a highly toxic chemical and it's used in chicken nuggets. So that's just food for thought there. And if you are going to the store and you're looking to buy some decent quality meat, you want to watch out for certain things on the label. Like the words all natural as they apply to packaged cuts of meat just means that nothing's actually been added to that package of meat. It doesn't mean that nothing's been added to the animal. So it could be like a cloned animal that's eaten only 
GMO corn, genetically modified corn, and been fed antibiotics every day, locked in a stall, standing in its own poop, and it could still be called natural. (laughs) So you want to be careful about labels like that, all natural beef. Now, of course, the option to all this is you could cook, right? You don't have to eat the fast food. You don't have to buy the pre-made stuff. You can cook. It's what I keep coming back to on the show. If you cook it yourself, you can dodge the foodiness almost completely if you buy the right stuff. So go out and buy yourself good grass-fed meat and take it home and cook it. It's not that hard to do. Trust me. I've bought grass-fed beef at Costco, and I bought organic chickens there also. So it's out there. It's in the mainstream. You just have to look for it. And, of course, you have to be willing to spend a little bit more money, which I know is difficult, especially these days. But maybe, you know, eat better, eat less. It's a good mantra. And that kind of stuff is out there. Like I said, it's, it's in the mainstream. It's not just here in, you know, food smugster land of, of Brooklyn where we have our own chickens running around on the roof. Totally unrealistic. It's out there. It's just hard, I think, to sometimes see that food for all the foodiness at one end and all the, you know, food elite people like me lecturing you, telling you what to do at the other end. I'm trying to find balance. I don't want to be lecturing you. I don't like the smugsters either. I'm very realistic. Just remember, if you are going to go out and buy some grass-fed beef and cook it yourself, that it's leaner than corn-fed, obviously. It's not getting all that fat from corn. And so it's going to cook faster, and it's going to overcook quickly. So I really think it's best if you don't cook it past medium rare at the most for tender things like steaks, quick-cooking things. Anything beyond medium rare, I think you're going to risk a little bit of dryness and toughness. If it's something that you're going to braise or cook really slowly in liquid, just go really gentle. Keep your temperature low and slow. And, you know, it's all a matter of degrees. Cooking industrial meat at home, you know, if you're going to buy the corn-fed meat and cook it at home, that's better than eating the foodiness patty, you know, in your car while you're driving and trying to text and, you know, look at your GPS at the same time. At least if you're cooking it at home, you're in control of it once it's in your hands. And I think that's an important factor too. You know, so the foodie elite crowd, the Bushwick Brooklyn crowd, you know, like we tend to throw up like this threshold that you always have to live up to. You know, the meat always has to be grass-fed. It always has to be local. You have to have raised it in your backyard and all that. And that's unrealistic for most people. I mean, you'd probably be saying no to meat most of the time if that was the threshold that you had to, to you know, to face to meet your meat. Like I said, sometimes you're hungover, you want a burger. What are you going to do? Or not hungover and just want a burger. Like I was last weekend. So just have the burger. You know, the extremists like vegans and raw food people are going to tell you to just eliminate eating meat completely. But I think that's silly. It's unrealistic. I mean, if you're a vegetarian, that's great. Do it. But if you want to eat meat, do it. If it's an animal rights issue for you, though, make sure that what you're buying has the certified humane label on it, certified animal welfare, certified humane. Although a funny thing to think about is that no other species on the planet actually thinks about whether the method it used to kill other animals is humane as it's pouncing on its prey and tearing it apart with its teeth. We don't want to set impossible standards for people to meet in order to meet their meat. You don't have to be Mark Zuckerberg, you know, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook. He decided that he wanted to meet his meat. And so he said that from now on, he'll only eat meat that he's killed himself. But, you know, he's 
insanely rich and powerful and kind of a whack job. And that's not exactly realistic for most of us. So just to quickly paraphrase Michael Pollan here, we're omnivores and we have a dilemma. Eat meat. It's totally up to you. What kind of meat? Still totally up to you. I say maybe eat less, eat better. That's a good way to go. Maybe instead of five meaty meals a week of corn-fed industrial meat, have about one or two meals a week of really good grass-fed meat. It's going to cost you the same, I think, overall. If you can't buy it locally, you can also mail order it. Plenty of sources now for mail order. And you could load up your freezer. Maybe you could split an order with a friend or with your sister or with your neighbor. Then you can meet your meat face-to-face. You can cook it yourself and you can be okay with it. And if you and I ever get to meet over some meat, I'll even show you how to put the blue inspection stamp on it because I'm really good at that. We're out of time. We have to go. On next week's show, we're going to be talking about eggs. Cage-free, schmage-free. That's what I say. And just remember, if you don't want to eat shit, listen to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. As a part of National Food Day, St. John's Bread and Life, Brooklyn's innovative and life-saving food service program based in Bedford-Stuyvesant, is inviting Brooklyn chefs and purveyors to learn about how the organization is marrying the procurement of old-fashioned, locally-grown organic produce with the latest technology to deliver healthy, cost-effective meals to those in need. St. John's Bread and Life, located at 795 Lexington Avenue, will hold an open house on Monday, October 24th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Visit www.foodday.org to sign up for the event.